Yeah, my favorite line when someone's sitting in front of me struggling with my struggle, right? The same struggle I struggle is, I see you. I've been there too. You are not alone and we are in this together. Hey, Mom Nation. Welcome to our From the Heart podcast, where we share inspirational stories, useful information, and we discuss a wide variety of women-related topics. While you're listening to this episode on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe to our channel and rate us so that we can get this information out to the moms that need to hear it. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are at Mom Nation USA. That's our handle on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Mom Nation, we are back with another episode of From the Heart, where we share inspirational stories, useful information, and discuss a variety of women-related topics. Please give us a like and follow. We are at Mom Nation USA. That is our handle. And we are on YouTube. We are on Instagram and Facebook. So hop on over there. Check out our past shows. Um, if you are the type that really likes the audio, like maybe drive a lot or you're you know, working out and you like to listen to podcasts, we are also on all of your favorite podcast channels. Just do a quick search for Mom Nation Talk Radio, and you should be able to find us on your favorites like iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify. So check us out there. I would like to, without further ado, get into our topic for today that I'm really excited about. You guys know that here I just love to talk with women, especially members of Mom Nation that have dealt with some stuff in their life, guys, because I know that we're all dealing with it. And when we bring it to light, when we bring it to the surface, when we talk about what's going gone on with us, either throughout our history or what's going on right now, then we are in a much better position to support each other as women. And that's really what it's all about. So again, without further ado, I would like to welcome a Mom Nation member, Kimberly D. D. Maria. Is that how we say your last yep. name? Yes, D. Maria. Correct. Awesome. Well, welcome, Kimberly. Really, really appreciate your time. Love that you're our guest today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm excited uh, to be with you and share my story and just, you know, be a woman today. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's what it's all about, right? We need to do more of that. I feel like we need to do more connecting, more sort of not necessarily the word I was going to use was normalizing each other's traumas and experiences. And I don't know if that's really the best word, um, but helping each other feel like, hey, me too. Like, hey, you're not alone. Hey, you know, I've gone through that or my sister has, or my mom has, or, you know, my best friend has. And I feel like, again, you know, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I feel like when we come together in honesty like that, then we are so much better positioned to support one another through life. I mean, yeah. we're all kind of dealing with it. Yeah. My favorite line when someone's sitting in front of me struggling with my struggle, right? The same struggle I struggle is I see you. I've been there too. You are not alone. And we are in this together. Yeah. So, it's you know, so powerful. Well, and because we feel isolated at that trauma, drama, you know, um, the the shame of it all. And then we feel like, oh, we're the only one dealing with this one. You're not the only one. <laughs> right. Or what are they going to think? Or, you know, all of those things that all those tapes that we end up running in our head, right, that keep us from communicating like we should communicate. Yeah, it's the shackles of shame, right? That's that keeps us quiet, keeps us suffering. It sounds like you've had a lot of experience with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
<laughs> every day still. <laughs> and I just, I, I, you know, when you release those shackles of shame and say, okay, this is me, this is the most authentic version of me. This is what I've been through. This is who I am. I'm not the person I am despite of it. I'm the person I am today because, because. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's so important. I really feel like, so let's dive into it. Let's, let's begin at the beginning, Kimberly, where does your story start? Um, I'm a nurse. I, I was an army nurse, um, met my ex-husband in the army, um, trained to save. Um, so I um, started, you know, as a healer, I believe, you know, from day one, like I was in, you know, I was a CNA before I went into the army, a certified nursing assistant. And then I went into the army and got my nursing degree and they trained me and um, met my ex-husband. Um you know, was married for 20 years in a, wow. just a epically unhappy marriage. Like I was, I fell in love with his potential. And I know that sounds so noble, right? Like, oh my gosh, you fell in love with who, you know, his potential. No, the potential I saw. And so, um, and, and maybe he never wanted to be that person that I saw him envisioned him being, but I spent 20 years trying to make him it <laughs> and never loving him for who he was. So I, you know, I'm just owning what was mine in the relationship. Um, but I was so unhappy and here I am, you know, fast forward 20 years and I have three beautiful children. I have a roof over my head. I have two cars in the garage. I have a successful career. And I am so unhappy and I don't know, I can't put my finger on why. And I feel like there is no way out of this. Like everyone will know that I'm unhappy and I, you know, I, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to everyone to see me fail. Right. Right. And some of the biggest decisions in my life, right. Marriage and everything else. I'm like, I, I don't understand what, you know, why I can't get out of this. And so my, um, my ex-husband was a pretty heavy drinker. I don't just leave it at that. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, maybe I can connect to him, with him if I start drinking with him. And, you know, I found out very quickly that I was not a good drinker. I started drinking at the age of 40. And um, before that, glass of wine at Christmas time, if that. Um, and when I started drinking, I, I discovered it was my solution to all my problems I could check out. Mm. This helped me just escape my head, escape my life, escape life. Um, and I very quickly developed a problem. And, and, I, and as a nurse, you know, I, I, as a nurse, as an educated person, I, I can tell you I didn't see it coming. I did not see it, the problem coming um, until it was a big problem. You don't see it. It's cunning. It's baffling. And it's powerful, this disease. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it comes for you. It does not care your race. It does not care your gender. It does not care your social status. It does not care when it comes for you. It comes to rape your soul and take your life if you let it. Um, it's so true. It's so true. And what you said um, back in the be you know somewhat beginning of your story is, this is a way I could escape. And I feel like so many women can totally relate with that statement because like being a mom, having a job, running a household, these are, this is huge. Like the stuff that we have to do, I feel like it's probably never been easy throughout history, you know, for, for, for our mothers before us. Um, 
but I feel like we have so much pressure on us now as women that, yeah, there is no real release. There is no real escape. I mean, goodness, even at the gym, there's no real release or escape of being inside your head of, you know, being potentially judged. Gosh, judgment is just so tough on us. Whether look, we're actually being judged or we think we are, right? Exactly. It's, a, it's not what I think I am. It's not even what you think I am. It's what I think you think I am and get lost in all that confusion. Like I'm not even who I am. I'm not even who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. Holy cow. That's a static environment ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because really it's just based on assumption. Um, and then you're chasing something that isn't real. But I, I really want to highlight what you said, because I, again, I feel like so many of us can so relate with that, myself included. Hey, you know, if I go out with some friends and I have a couple of beers, well, hey, cool. I wasn't thinking about work while I was doing that. You know, I wasn't thinking about the responsibility I have at home. I wasn't thinking about the dishes that need to be done. And it was fun. But right. then, then that fun kind of turns dangerous. Exactly. And you don't, you don't see it coming. I'm, I can, I did not wake up in the morning one day and say, Oh, maybe I'll be an alcoholic. No one does. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be an alcoholic addict. It's not a thing. No one says it. It's you, the, so no one makes that choice. It's, it's a disease that comes for you. And it it's, uh, I believe in, in my experience, and I've been a nurse for almost 30 years. So I know what it looks like when you know, someone shows up at the hospital and they are, you know, they are active in their disease and they're, they're trying to get sober or something happens and they're in delirium tremens and we're, we have them socially intubated in the ICU and we're trying to get them sober. And I remember, you know, seeing these people and seeing particular patients and they, we would get them clean and get them through that, that, um, detox part of this disease and I would see him back in two, three months. And I'd be like, we got you through the hard part. What are you doing here? And what I didn't understand until it came for me is that it wasn't the hard part. That part wasn't the hard part. Yeah, it's difficult. But no one, you know, starts drinking to become an alcoholic. They, the, it's their solution to their problems. Drugs and alcohol and insert addiction, whatever it is, because it's it, not just um, isolated to drugs and alcohol, but it's, you know, insert the whatever it is, but it is our solution to our problems to feel something other than what we're feeling right now. Right. And so it would let allowed me to check out of what I was feeling right now, that epic unhappiness. Right. And so I, you know, I used it and then it was, then it all of a sudden it's not working. I need more. I need more. And then all of a sudden I have a problem and it becomes, it's my solution. Now it becomes a problem born from my solution and it becomes my biggest problem. Right. But then take away all the drugs and alcohol. All right. And then whatever my solution was and all my problems that led me to it, they're still there. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. They're just not being dealt with when you're right doing other things. So when did it become, Hey, I'm just going to have a couple of drinks with my husband because maybe it'll help us connect and, you know, maybe things will change around here to, Oh, this is a problem. Like take me through that transition. Okay. So I don't, 
a hundred percent know when that happened because again, it's cunning, it's baffling, it's powerful. Um, I just know that, you know, I'm sitting down with somebody who has 35 years in the field of study of, you know, he's been drinking way longer than me. I'm not going to be out drink. My ego's not going to allow that. <laughs> gotcha. So I just started drinking. And then I'm, when I discovered that it let me check out, oh my goodness. Well, even more better, you know, even, even more um, accolades to that, you know, like, oh my gosh, I can, you know, I'm not going to be out drank by him. I'm going to keep up with them. And I get to check out from my life. And so then I, and like I said, I only drank for a year and a half. I started drinking at 40. I drank for a year and a half. The last six months, my life circled the toilet. It was, um, I had my first seizure um, walking down the stairs and I remember like the, everything kind of going numb. And I, then I woke up on the, on the landing of the stairs and I thought as a nurse, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am in so much trouble. I'm having a seizure related to my drinking. Right. Like, and I know as a nurse, that's huge. Right. And, and so I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? Like, I, I'm, I'm no longer in control. You know, it is controlling me and I am a slave to it. Um, and that's when I kind of realized that I had a serious problem. Then I got a super extreme DUI. Ah. And, um, and I remember thinking that was one of my never things. I was never going to get behind the wheel of the car drunk or drinking, right? That I, cause what if I hurt someone, you know, healer, like, what would that make me? You know what I mean? Um, and I got the super extreme DUI and I remember him pulling me, him pulling me out of the vehicle, the police officer. And he was so kind too. He didn't have to be, but he was. Um, and he said, you know, you're not the normal person that I pull over for a DUI. And I just looked at him and I said, thank you for not allowing me to kill someone or myself. Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of the moment I was stuck in and I was wasted at the time. Like I, you know, I was so drunk and and he's, and he could have impounded my car. He didn't, obviously I got arrested and then went to, went to jail for, I mean, I didn't go to jail then, but I obviously later on, I went and did my, you know, penance for that. But, um, that was kind of the turnaround point because when I came home from the DUI and getting arrested, I thought to myself, my life is over. I'm going to have to report myself to the board of nursing. Um, who knows what's going to happen there? Um, I'm, this is going to cost me a fortune. I'm going to lose my license, my, my driving license. I, and I just, so what was my answer to that? You ask, right. Mm -hmm. So it was to drink more, right? Like, oh my gosh, what, you know, I got home and I'm like, my life is over. And I grabbed the bottle and then, um, my ex-husband at the time said, okay, well now this is a problem. And, um, you know, kind of, we kind of had been, and I don't know, I don't want to speak for him, but he kind of had like, you know, ignored the situation up to that point um, or didn't become very involved until then. And then he took away all the alcohol and um, because now it's a problem. And he, and so that my life is over. I, I, you know, decide that that's it. And so I drank my last bottle of alcohol and there was nothing left because he took it all away and I remember being so incredibly wasted and I'm standing in front of the mirror looking in the mirror and I'm like 
I don't even know who you are. And I said, there is no possible way I can get sober. Like it wasn't even a, a possibility in my head. It wasn't even an option. And, and I know that there's a lot of shock value involved, involved with what I'm going to say right now. And you're going to be like, holy cow, who does that? But I remember picking up a bottle of rubbing alcohol and saying, and looking at it. And I was so drunk at the time, but this is the clearest moment I can remember in all of it. But it was how much of this can I drink and still live? Cause wow. I didn't want, right. but I didn't, I didn't know how to live life on life's terms. Like I had no clue how I was going to get through all of this. And I, I turned up the bottle and I don't know how it got past my nose. I don't know how it got past my throat. And then I ended up in the hospital. Wow. And yeah. so you're still married at this time. Yeah. Still married. Mm -hmm. And you guys had kids three. Mm -hmm. So are the kids older or they're, um, I think my son was like eight or nine, um, 10, my other one. And then my daughter was young, but my daughter remembers me falling down the stairs. So, um, my daughter remembers certain things and I'm so grateful. I'm going to, I'm going to say this right now. I'm so grateful that it wasn't years and years and years of them watching me struggle with this. Um, it was, you know, a year and a half. And what I'm so, I don't want to focus too much on the negative of it because there's so much positive that came from this me for my children for for everyone involved I think but um they saw me fall they saw me hit rock bottom but then they saw me rise they saw the solution and so I'm that's the part I'm grateful for that they saw the struggle but they saw the solution as well and so you know they used to go to AA meetings with me I the house that I got sober in, um, in Queen Creek, Arizona, um, they had a playground, a fenced in child lock proof playground with a child room where they could watch movies. And so I would take them to meetings with me. And I remember my son sitting next to me. He wouldn't, sometimes he wouldn't go out and play. Sometimes he would come in and sit next to me and listen to the stories and listen to the experience, strength and hope that they share in the, those meetings. And the chips would go around the room of, you know, people celebrating, you know, milestones and recovery. And, and my son would take the chips and he would pray. And that was because he knew what he was praying for. He was praying for a sober mom or a sober dad or whatever. He knew what he, what that prayer was about. So, um, and he was and just a little guy. Yeah. He has, um, and he's an amazing kid. Like he, he's, he's, all three of them are amazing, but, you know, but he was the one that used to sit next to me, my middle son, Alex. Um, but he would sit next to me in the meetings and he would, um, you know, listen and, and, you know, hold hands at the end. And, and so I'm just, he just saw what, what survival looked like and what experience, strength, and hope look like, what rock bottom looks like, what rising above looks like. And I think we can teach our kids so much um, in overcoming adversity. Yeah. I don't really know. Go ahead. No, I totally agree. I love this. And I love because we're all going to go through, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, we're all going to go through something at some point in life. And, you know, it's, it's sad to see people obviously ever going through that, but it's sad to see them unable to figure the way out 
and your children had a front row seat to learning how to figure their way out. So whether it be themselves that maybe experience something in, in later in life or a friend or, you know, somebody that they really care for, they're going to have tools in their tool belt now. Exactly. And, you know, I know that this, this experience made me stronger, but softer, but I believe that it made my, my children stronger and softer too. Um, I remember I was the director of nursing at a recovery center in Mesa and we were opening, opening up a casita and it wasn't ready to open, but we need there, we had clients that needed to go into it and it just needed some furniture and some pictures on the walls. And I had some in my garage cause I had moved and I had stuff in my garage. So my, my boss, um, came with his truck to grab it on a Saturday morning and my son was, came with me to unload it and help put it in the casita and, I arrive at the facility and the detox center is off to the side and there's like six more casitas that house the residential treatment center and the, you know, PHP level care. And um, the tech from detox comes over and says, Miss Kimberly, what are we going to do with the dog? And I said, what do you tell what dog? And he said, the client that just arrived, we're going to have to send her to the hospital because um, she's high on fentanyl and, um, we, she has a dog with her and no one to come pick up the dog. And so I'm just sitting there and, you know, she's going to come back into our care and, and, um, I'm like, well, what am I going to do with her dog? I can't can't keep the dog at the facility. I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to call animal control. What am I going to do? My son's standing next to me. He goes, we're taking the dog. I said, I'm sorry, we're doing what? (laughs) He says, mom. I'll take care of the dog The, you know, Bree and, uh, and Ian and I will take care of the dog. She needs an opportunity to get well. Aww. And I, I just looked at him and I just, I mean, like, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right here. I'm doing something right. Cause this is what I'm raising. So. Oh, what a sweet pea. Your children <laughs> sound a hundred percent amazing. And, and you, you look so proud and from a mama's heart, like I can, I can so relate with that. So kudos to you, mom, for doing such an amazing job. Um, yeah, we took so, that dog care of that dog, and they all they gave the dog a bath, and we and we until until she was ready to discharge. And it actually was an awesome situation because there were times she wanted to leave because it was hard, you know, and and getting sober is hard work, and um, it's facing all your demons, you know, and. And she wanted to leave, but I had her dog at home with me. Like I would bring the dog to visit with her, but it was at home at my house and she didn't want to leave without her dog. And I'm saying, I'm, I said, I'm not jogging, you know, I'm not bringing the dog back to the facility so you can leave them. You know, you can, um, you can leave. And tomorrow when I come back in, I'll bring the dog. So I, it kept her from leaving a bunch of times and she completed treatment. So it was nice. Yeah. That seemed to have worked out perfectly for everybody involved, honestly. Yeah. So, so take me from, I left you back at the bottle of rubbing alcohol. So that was like a real, real low moment. You ended up in the hospital. What happened after that? What got you to Queen Creek, to the house, to be able to even begin the journey of sobriety? And then what did that look like? Well, um, I was in the hospital and 
I'm detoxing off of all of it. And, and I, when I go in, um, they start an IV in my arm right here. I'll show you. See the oh, scar. Wow. Holy um, smoke. They started an IV and it got infected and it, I went completely septic. Um, I had a of 103.5. They couldn't get the infection under control. Um, they called it an infectious disease specialist. And so it, from, it went from, you know, a couple of days in the hospital to almost two and a half weeks, almost three weeks in the hospital, two surgeries. Um, and I, my arm blew up. I almost died. I almost, um, I almost lost my arm. Uh, it was, I, they couldn't get the, finally got the infection under control and then my fever broke and I went back to surgery again. And then I come out and I'm finally the fog of the alcohol, the fog of the infection, the fog of the sepsis starts to lift. And the doctor comes in my room and my mind's a little bit clearer and she starts telling me my lab values. And as a nurse, I'm looking at her and I'm like, my kidneys are shutting down. I'm in renal failure. And she said, you drank poison. You tried to kill yourself. She goes, what did you think was going to happen? And I just looked at her and I go, I didn't try to kill myself. And she says, yes, you did. You drank poison. You tried to kill yourself. And I started to panic because all I could think was, she doesn't understand this disease. I don't understand this disease. And if I don't find someone who does, I'm going to die. Yeah. And I just sat there and I just, I'm like, you know, so broken. There was no possible way that I was going to be able to stand up for myself in that moment. And all of a sudden these words start coming out of my mouth. And I looked at her and I said, you're not the doctor for me. Get out of my room. And I laid back in the bed and I went, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Who like, said that? <laughs> who said that? Because it wasn't me. And I was way too broken to be saying, saying anything like that. And she flips her hair and she storms out of the room. She's like, I don't think I'm the doctor for you either. And I'm like, okay. And so when she leaves, I just start to pray. And I said, God, you know, universe, the divine, the light, whatever you, whoever you are, tend me someone who understands this disease because I don't want to die. And I knew as a nurse that firing my doctor meant the hospital had to find another doctor to take care of me. And so I just sat back and I said, send me someone who knows, Some, send me someone who understands. And um, um, a doctor walks into my room. His, I was at uh, Scottsdale Honor Health Shea. And um, it, was a, it was Scottsdale Shea at the time. But it, his name was Dr. Ball. And he has a turban on. And he walks into my room and he says, how's your arm? And I looked at him and I looked down at my arm and it's huge. And it's wrapped up and it is a mess. And I looked at him and I said, I still have one. And he looks at me and he says, you're going to be okay. Oh. And he, and I knew in that moment, he didn't mean, you know, I'm going to, you know, my arm's going to be okay. I think he meant I'm going to be okay. Right. So he turns around, he leaves the room and he sends in a case manager and her name is Laura. 
and she's so bubbly and she's smiling. It's the first person to smile when they walked in the room in two and a half weeks of my stay at the hospital, like first person to smile. And, And she says, hi, my name is Laura. And she looks at me and she says, I have 14 years in recovery and so can you. Oh, and she hands me a little blue book. They have book of Alcoholics Anonymous and she prints off all these meetings in my area and support and help. And she hands it to me and she says, get to a meeting. And, um, I discharged and I went home and I put my stuff down at, when I got to the house and I grabbed my meeting list and my arm all in this, you know, wrapped up and I went to a meeting and, um, and I, that was the beginning of my journey and many, many, many meetings later, but here I am. <laughs> so, so I've heard about this. I've never experienced one. I'm just making a quick note here. Um, I've never experienced a meeting before and I've heard uh, several friends and loved ones that have been through recovery. And, and I've heard that these meetings are really what it takes to, to turn things around. Can you explain what your first experience was like? I walked through the wrong door, first of all, um, oh, no. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, and I'm walking in, even with a nurse of over 20 years of experience, I'm thinking there's going to be a bottle of whiskey in the center of the room and they're all going to be trying to not drink it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as silly as that sounds like that's my envision of that's my picture in my head, my perception of what I'm walking into. Right. And I walked in and my arms all wrapped up and I am, I couldn't have been more broken. Um, and I couldn't even look anyone in the eye. That's like, I, I didn't even know who I was, you know, but, um, and I certainly didn't want anyone to look in my eyes and see, see the mess that I was. Right. So I sat down and they started, they, they ask if there's anyone in their first 20, you know, 24 hours of recovery or at their first meeting. And I raised my hand and they said, introduce yourself. And, you know, I remember, saying, hi, my name is Kimberly. I'm an alcoholic. And and then the floodgates opened. Right. Yeah. And so I just start. I cried the whole, I cried for the first like 90 days of recovery, <laughs> but um, I just started crying and I'm telling my story and they're laughing and they're nodding and they're not laughing at me. They're laughing with me. Right. Right. There was so much hope in just that moment that I'm like, this is, this is my home. And I just kept coming back. And like, this is where I'm going to get well, because they're well. So it sounded, it sounds like it was just a very loving, very welcoming, um, not non-judgmental sort of space to be in where it was safe. Um, and, and I'm sure everybody shared their story. So, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because again, I've never experienced it, but that when we share our stories, when we share, you know, our hearts, then that's, it brings the guard down, right? It brings the walls down and then you're able to support each other. And especially in a safe environment where you know that everyone's been through whatever you've been through and they're going to love you until you learn to love yourself. And that's what happened when I walked in those rooms. They loved me until I, until I learned how to love myself. And they say it all the time in the program, you cannot give away what you do not have. And so I had to love myself before I could love somebody else. I, I can only love someone to the, the degree I could love me. And um, that's what you learn in the program of recovery. You learn 12 steps of becoming who you're supposed to be. Not, and, and it's awesome because there's 
there's a doctor at the uh, Betty Ford clinic and he's not in um, recovery, but he treated Betty Ford. And he said, addiction um, is the only disease that you can suffer from that in recovery, you are exponentially a better person than you ever were prior than prior to acquiring the disease. And he says, that's why I love treating addiction because when you are in recovery or recovered, um, you are exponentially a better person than you ever were for them prior to acquiring the disease. You can't say it about heart disease. You can't right. say it about diabetes. You can't say it about cancer. You can't say that, that they're exponentially better, you know, after, you know, they survive that, but in the disease of addiction, you not only learn how to survive, you learned how to thrive and love your life. That so. makes a lot of sense. It's, that's really interesting. Um, in those 12 steps and, you know, we don't need to go over them by any means, but like, what did, what did that next week, 24 hours, next couple of days look for you? So are you reaching for that drink? Are you know, like, and, and, and if you are, if you're having that urge or like, what tools were you given at the meeting to stop that from happening? Of a phone list of a women. And every time you wanted to pick up a drink, you picked up the phone. And you said, I'm struggling. I, I feel like I'm going to drink right now. And, and I hit my knees every single time and prayed and prayed and prayed and picked up the phone and prayed and picked up the phone. It was, uh, it was telling, it was, un, it was unleashing and breaking the shackles of shame, right? Like, so I have to tell on myself to save myself. I have to surrender to win here. And so that's what we did. And you never touched another one again, or did you have uh, a relapse moment? I did have a relapse moment um, about 30 days, almost 30 days in. Wow. Um, and I had a meeting and, you know, some, and, and I, I probably, I wish I had known about recovery centers, like the one I work at soul surgery in Scottsdale, um, which is not affiliated with my company, but um, an amazing outfit for recovery, but it, they have a detox center and, um, and a P RTC PHP, but, I didn't really know about those places when I was getting well. I only knew about the AA rooms, but I wish I'd been in a more controlled environment like that to in my first 30 days of recovery, because I think I would have, I wouldn't have relapsed. I, I honestly believe, believe I wouldn't have, but um, I had a meeting where a lot of things that my character defects were shown to me in a way that was very, I, I felt very embarrassed by because I was called out in, in, in the meeting basically. And it was very uncomfortable. And I went home and I thought, you know, I'm okay. I don't need any more meetings. Like, you know, it was a meeting I needed a meeting for. <laughs> yeah. I needed enough to recover from that meeting. And I didn't pick up the phone. I went home and I picked up the bottle and I drank and that whole entire weekend became another um, disastrous show of what alcoholism does. And so, um, I had to walk back through the, the rooms on that Monday and, and, you know, take a new chip a new 24 hour chip and start over. And it, it was, it was great. I needed it. Cause sometimes those stumble moments are, you know, the moments of realization that you need in your life to say, okay, you can't do this alone. And you're, you have a lot of work to do. And, and that's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So during this time, 
and before the the hospitalization and everything you shared a bit about what the kids went through when they saw you rise from the ashes which is so admirable and such a proud mama moment but what did the kids go through before that um a not present mom right so you know i i there were moments that i um well all I, all i could do was escape from you know the life right so i would have I remember, let, let me share a story with you. So I remember I came home from work. I'd pick the kids up from school or whatever. And I'd come home from work and I bought two bottles of wine and they were in the car. And I um, was trying to get the kids out. I was trying to, they're asking what's for dinner. What's this, what's that. And all I could think about because I'm a slave to this disease, right. Is I can't wait to get this bottle of wine open and have a drink. And I'm trying to shoo my son into the house and I grab and I drop one of the bottles and it breaks and smashes all over the garage. And I got so angry. And I remember him looking at me like, oh my gosh, you know, and and there's those moments that you just wish you could take back. I'm yelling at him because look what you made me do. You know what I mean? And I'm like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I'm and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's you know, those that's my my, my drink, you just made me drop my drink, you know? And I was, I don't know. It was just, it was a series of events like that where, you know, can I, mom, can I have this? And if it it required any work and I was drinking, or if I was laying down in bed, passed out, I was, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, just making these and just not being present and not being, you know, the mom that I needed to be. And I'm, again, that's why I'm just so grateful. It wasn't, years and years of this because they were fending for themselves because I couldn't take care of myself far less take care of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, uh, I'm grateful that in your situation that things recovered more quickly for you, as we know, in other situations where they never recover, like these babies grow up like, like that, you know, and it's, Oh God, it hurts my heart to think about it. And it, on, 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 in both ways, like for the babies and then for the parent themselves that that's going through what they're going through, you know, they're hurting too. And they have their, their obstacles and their struggles and things to deal with too. And yeah. Have, and yeah. Yourself. Okay. You know, what, um, what did my children lose in that moment? Or, you know, and, and, and the flip side of that is what did they gain too? You know I mean? Like, even though it was horrible and that no child should have to endure that, um, they have an opportunity to, you know, come out better too. Like, okay, they witnessed the struggle. They know what it looks like. They, they had to fend for themselves. Should they have had to? No. Um, did they gain strength and wisdom through it? Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> you know, and I, and I see those because we repeat what we do not repair. Right. Yeah. And I will see the clients that come through the recovery center who are repeating the mistakes of their mother and their grandmother or their father or their grandfather or whatever. This because that's what they, that's what they know. That's right. What they know. Exactly. And you know, you know, they're, then they become addicts or alcoholics or whatever numbing those situations of, you know, what, the victim mode of it all. Okay. Well, there's a big difference between fault 
and responsibility. Yeah, it wasn't those, it wasn't their fault that their mom didn't, their mom or dad or whoever didn't show up like they were supposed to, right? But if you're waiting for them to fix it, you're in victim mode. And it's, it's got to be your responsibility as, and when you grow up into adulthood and obviously not as a child, but when, when you enter adulthood and you're like, okay, this is the, the cards I was dealt as a child. Now, was it my fault? No. Whose responsibility is it to fix? Guess what? Mine. Yep. My heart, my happiness, my, my life, my, my, um, emotional well-being my responsibility not anybody else's if i give it away i take away my power to fix it if i say yeah if i say it's your fault it's your responsibility to fix i am in victim mode and i am in suffering and i am in suffering until that person decides that they're going to fix my situation it's not coming no one's coming no one's coming to rescue you from your life you have to do it hundred percent. I love that so much. Um, I talk a lot about my past and past traumas and things that I went through with my parents and, you know, caregivers and, and all of that. You know, I've lived a lot of life. I'm 43 years old. So, so, so all that stuff. And more often in the latter part of life where I've gone through, you know, the, the therapy and have really faced the things that I need to been really taking responsibility, kind of like what you said. I find myself having conversations like this. Oh, well, aren't you real angry with your parents? You know, don't you think this, isn't it your parents' fault? Isn't it? You know what? They, they did the best that they could with what they had. I'm not yeah. blaming it. it. It's not worth it to, to me to hold grudges, to blame them, um, to continue to put them in that box that they've been in for so long to keep them there. Right. Yeah, it wasn't my fault what happened. Yeah, what I went through wasn't anything that I wished for but you're 100% right. It is 1000% my responsibility to make me better. Yep. And that has nothing to do with them. And, you know, sometimes some people from my past that are kind of, you know, have gone through some, some therapy themselves and some discovery and, and some growth, I should say, themselves are like, geez, you know, really, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad that I was a part of that, that part of your life. And I'm like, you know what? Don't carry that guilt for me. Mm-mm. Don't live in that. You are responsible for you. I'm an adult now. I'm responsible for me. And, and I love what you said, Kim, about like, yeah, kids shouldn't go through those things, but I'm, I'm honestly so much better for it. I'm yeah. able to have conversations with you and really relate to you, like, you know, and, and with other people that have kind of gone through that walk. Um, I understand personal growth. I understand what it is to work hard toward that. I understand what, what, you know, my version of happiness is versus the version I'm living because of what other people think about me. Like what we kind of said at the beginning of the show, I'm so much better having had those experiences again, tragic as they were at the time, but I'm so much better now. Exactly. And, 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 and to be able to say, I've, I see you. I've been there too. You are not alone. We are in this together. It's like, okay, I get to take a my story and share it with you. So it becomes a chapter in your survival guide, right? Mm-hmm. Because what I experienced, I'm now going to share you, share to you how I rose, how I came, I how I overcame it, how I used it as um, you know, I mean the difference between a 
a garden and a graveyard, right? Is the only difference between a garden and a graveyard is what we plant in the ground or what we put in the ground. Yeah. Are we bearing are we burying dead bodies? Are we planting seeds? Am I plucking this from my life and, 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 and this situation? Am I planting it in fertile ground and watering it properly so it would grow and bear fruit for others? Or am I letting weeds take over? You know what I mean? Or am I burying bodies? So the, that the only difference between a garden and a graveyard is what you put in the ground. So, and, and, and do you tend to your garden? The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Water your grass. Mm hmm. A hundred percent. I could not agree more with that. Tell me a little bit about soul recovery. So soul recovery is my company um, where I the goal is not to get clean and sober. The, the goal is to love yourself and your life enough that you don't need to get hired to get drunk. And so my company is um, sober life coaching um, interventions um, sober companionship. So if you are, say you're going to, you're sober and you're newly sober and you're trying to live life on life's terms and you get invited to a wedding mm, and, um, and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, this is where I go and party and have a good time. Well, and you know, so I'm, if A, I'm going to either advise you on it or I'm going to be your guest at the wedding as a sober companion. Um, I, you know, and I'm going to make sure you get in, get out safely and that, you know, that you're not there alone. Um, because, because that's hard, right? Like you're, you're, maybe you can avoid the bar. Maybe you can just not go there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you're going to sit down and at some point in time, there's going to be a full champagne flute for the toast at some point right. in time in front of you, or the wait staff is going to come by and is going to ask you if you need a refill of this, that, and the other thing. That's going to be hard for somebody who is, especially in the very beginning. Exactly. How do we avoid those things that, gosh, this is actually so upsetting. So to me, because I've been seeing more and more push and maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I'm being more uh, observant, but I'm seeing more and more push of drinking liquor for this liquor for that party here, party there. Like there's just this, society drinks well and it's and i you know and and um kudos or bravo to people who can drink in moderation and i don't know what that looks like i'm not that person um and i i'm not here to judge you for it either if you enjoy a glass of wine or if you enjoy a margarita um and you can control it but it you know my hat's off to you you know i'm I'm not that person. And, uh, um, and I've realized that I, I, I understand that today and that's okay. Um, but, um, the push, I, I think there was a time I went through a very angry stage of the people who are pushing this alcohol and making it sound glamorous and making it sound, you know, like, um, it's, it's awesome. And it's, it, you know, because I know, I see what firsthand what happens, you know, if you, if it comes to rape your soul, right. Or if it comes and you don't see it coming or if it's your solution. And so, but, you know, I, I overcame that and just kind of, you know, I, I, I can see what you're saying about the push and the, and the, the glamorizing or um, what we call the glamorization of the, of that situation. And it's really not that glamorous, right? We fall down, we get drunk, we throw up. We, I mean, if we drink too much or we get into, you know, car accidents or, 
or I mean, all these horrible things that can happen if we impair and we don't drink responsibly. Right. Um, you know, having a glass of wine with dinner is not, there's nothing wrong with that. I, but I don't know that we need to, you know, glamorize it either. But again, you know, if we're drinking responsibly, you know, there's no problem, but it seems like more and more we're, you know, I, I see it firsthand every single day. And I, I think we see it as a epidemic of proportions in this society too, because we're numbing and, what I've learned is you can't selectively numb, right? You can't numb depression, pain, um, drama, um, just uh, trauma, all that stuff without numbing gratitude, love, and joy. You can't selectively numb. So you have to be able to deal with these things, the drama, the depression, the the trauma of your past or, or of the present with and so that you can still experience the joy, the gratitude, the love, the connection. And it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a balance every single day. I'm, I am sober today by the grace of God and my spiritual condition. Every day I'm, I give thanks for that. Every day I have to humble myself to that moment of, you know, outside of this world. I am part of this world, but I am not of this world, right? Like I am, mm -hmm. I'm effectively uh, here to affect others and, and leave my legacy, so to speak, um, and make a difference, but I am not part of the drama and I, I, or I'm trying not to be part of the drama and the trauma of it. I'm trying not, I'm trying to be part of the solution now. So, so with soul recovery, it's kind of like, um, almost like, like life coaching type thing. Except so, for we got a little bit of a twist in here. Um, and so you're accompanying them at, at weddings, which was an example that you gave. And right. I'm assuming you correct me and, or, or share or describe a little bit further if you would. Um, but are you the person on the other side? Are you the one that's getting the phone call when they're about ready to reach for the drink? Or is this something that you sort of incorporate with the AA meetings or like, how does that work? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> um, so I'm the one, if if you're, I'm, let's say I'm a paid sponsor of sorts. So I'm like, if I'm, I'm not your sponsor, I'm going to make you get a sponsor. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at your beck and call no matter what, when you call me, right, if you're paying me to be there, right. So that's my job is to be there to advise you to be there to support you the, to be there to, um, to, you know, listen, because I think silent and listen have the same letters in the word for a reason, because sometimes we just need to be heard. Yeah. And someone and really, really be heard. And so I sometimes I'm just there to be silent and listen to what you have to say. Um, and and so I have consultation services. I have scheduled, you know, life coaching services I have throughout the week. Like if you scheduled twice a week with me, I've actually went to and been a 24 hour companion to someone for weeks on end. Oh, wow. um, I think it's like two and a half weeks or three, it was three and a half weeks. Um, one time, the longest I had been gone, but I was three and a half weeks intensive one-on-one -on -one, getting them set up with, you know, a, their, their sponsees, getting set up with meetings, getting set up with uh, meditation practice, eating practice, um, a whole mind, body, spirit approach is my approach. It's not just, 
your emotional well-being I have to touch on or your mental well-being. I need to touch on your spiritual well-being. I need to then we need to talk about what you're putting in your body. Now, when am I going to start putting my body that's good? I mean, I'm a fitness competitor. So I have um, I took first place in OCB Masters Bikini in 2019. I'm competing again in February. So I'm, I bring to the table the nursing components, so all the medical knowledge. I bring to the, uh, to the table the fitness component um, and the nutritional component. And so, and then I have the spirituality to, you know, bring in the program of recovery and, and, and how it speaks to you in your life. And, and how do I, how do I get you on the the page of and the path to not just recovery but spiritual enlightenment and physical um well-being and all, the whole gamut it's so important I, I you can't have you can't i feel go through personal growth without touching on all of those portions yes you can't leave spirituality behind no, you can't leave fitness and health behind. Like it all works together. And so I love that you're focused on that. Of course you are, because you have such a great background and you've been through it yourself and you seem extraordinarily brilliant and observant. So of course you have that. But I feel like a lot of people out there don't always make that connection. And, and they, you know, what happens when they leave one of those behind? Right. You know, it's like shooting yourself in the foot, right? Exactly. And it's, 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 it's denying yourself part of the whole epic happy life, right? Okay, so if I'm not physically fit or spiritually fit or emotionally fit or mentally fit, one of those components are not bringing the epic happiness that you could be having to your life, right? So there's something to be added at all times in every moment. I know just a little, right? I, I the disease of addiction, the program of recovery has taught me, I know just a little, and I'm a forever learning. I'm a, I'm a student of life. And that means I'm, if I'm still alive, if God saw fit to wake me up this morning, he's still got work for me to do. Right. I love that. And, and I still have some learning to do. And so I need to be humble enough to admit it and grateful enough for that morning to come. No matter how old we are, no matter how much we've gone through, no matter how much experience we have in life, I am a firm believer like you. I'm just a lifelong learner also. I will learn until the day my eyes don't open anymore. And, and I love it. And my, and, my kids, and my kids teach me things every day. Like, you know, you, it's not, it's not the older, the wiser, the better that teach you sometimes, sometimes it's the, the younger and the innocent and the, and the, untouched of the you know some of the cruelties of the world right so they yep. so you the softness and the magic that i think we've forgotten and you know when do we stop believing in miracles and magic you know when when did that stop being you know cool or or done our kids right. still they see it in everything they they see the light in so many things that you you know that they reopen your eyes to so I'm, that's what motherhood motherhood has done for me it's given me another channel of light to see through oh i love that so much i wish that i could sit here kimberly and talk with you more i have so many more questions it's like we have to have you back on for you know a part two because awesome. i feel like there's this whole part of your journey that we completely left out and unfortunately we're out of time um 
but soul recovery, can you tell our audience if they would like to connect with you? How can they do that? Um, are you taking on new clients? That kind of thing. Yes. And my website is soul addiction, www.souladdictionrecovery.com. My 1-800 number is one eight seven seven soul 360 um, And so you can reach me and schedule um, a schedule a meeting. You also can go to my website, which is the, um, to at, to schedule a call or schedule uh, a consultation. It's all on my, it's all there up right on my website. My story's on there, a little bit about my story. My services are all on there. Um, but again, all you need the phone number and you can reach me 1-877-SOUL-360. Awesome. And I will put that in our show notes so that it's really easy for people to find and they can connect with you. You are a light. You, I, I mean, so many times in the conversation, I just, I love what the way your brain works and how you go for the positive and how you go through for the value in the conversation, for the value in the situation, for the value in the experience versus, I mean, I think you even said it, you even said, you know, it's, we're not going to the negative here. We're not going to talk something like that you had said earlier in the show. And I just love how your brain works like that. I feel like a lot of times, you know, based upon maybe how we were raised or society or school or whatever it is that, that molds us, oftentimes our knee-jerk reaction is to go to the negative of the situation, is to go to the sadness, is to go to the anger. And it's such a game changer when you can instead train yourself if you have to, if you know, you're not already like that, train yourself to go to that positive. What is the value in the situation? What was learned? What did my kids learn? What did, you know, what did I learn? How are we all better because of this? And right. I just think that that's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's not about skipping it because you have to feel it to heal it. Right. It's about saying, okay, what, what about this is, is growth and, and what do I need to shed for the past to the past of the past, past is history. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can't do that. So what, what about this can I take forward? And, and, and you're absolutely correct. It's, I can't focus on the negative. I do have to feel it to heal it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I do actually know and experience and and deal with it, but going forward, there's no sense in, in revisiting it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, I love this conversation so much. Thank you again for spending a little bit of time with me today. I think that is such a powerful message. And I know just because I communicate a lot with our audience and, you know, all of our mamas and mom nation, probably not all of them because it's a lot, but many of them. Um, and, you know, and a lot of us are, are going through exactly what you did or some, some very, very similar um, thing. You know, they're, they're going through a struggle that's very, very similar, whether it be alcohol or whether it be something else. Like you had mentioned, an addiction, an addiction is an addiction. It doesn't necessarily matter what the addiction is. Um, what matters is what it's masking. And so I think that this is a huge message. Thank you again for everything that you do, the light that you bring to the world. I'm so, so grateful that you're here with us, that things went well for you. Um, and you know, that you got through, especially the health part of it and you were able to recover fully. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. That was, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And if you out there are interested in being a guest on the show, please follow us at Mom Nation USA. That's our handle. We are on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just send us a quick message. Let us know why you'd like to be a guest. And while you're at it, please subscribe, download, and rate these 
episodes, I guess you'd call them, on your favorite podcast platform so that we can organically reach more of the mamas that need to hear our message. Thank you again, Kimberly, and we'll see you all again soon. Woo, Mom Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.